In the previous mission, we were introduced to Itur Habikurim, which is the fruit which were added to the Bikurim baskets in order to decorate them. We saw an argument as to whether it has to be fruit which are obligated in Bikurim, or if it could be any fruit since it's just for decoration. But be it as it may, we're going to be introduced to another type of added on fruit to the Bikurim in this Mishnah, and that is known as Tosefus Habikurim. And Tosefus Abikurim is actually pretty much part of the Bikurim themselves, and it refers to fruit which are added onto the Bikurim, which weren't necessarily the first ones to ripen. This could either be out of the generosity of the giver, he wants to give extra Bikurim fruit, or it could be because he actually realizes that he hasn't separated a sixtieth of the fruit. And as we learned earlier on in the Masechta, although Midoraisa one only really needs to separate the first fruit which ripens, Midrabon on a 60th of one's fruit need to be separated and given to Kalanim as Bikurim. And therefore, if he realizes after he designates the first ones to ripen as Bikurim, if he realizes that it's not actually a 60th, then he can add on a few later on, and those will become part of the Bikurim, and that is known as Tosefus Abikurim, which means the added on fruit to the Bikurim. So really we have three categories of Bikurim. And indeed, Rabbi Shimon Omer Rabbi Shimon says, There are three different measures when it comes to Bikurim, meaning each of the three categories have different laws as well. So one of the three categories, Habikurim, the Bikurim themselves, the first ones which ripen, and you tie a thread around it, you tie a small reed around it, and designate it as Bikurim, the Tosefus Habikurim, the fruits which you add on at the end to the Bikurim, the Itra Bikurim, and the decorations on the baskets and the fruit, which are not themselves the actual Bikurim. So the mission is now going to compare the halachas of Tosefus Abikurim and Itra Abikurim. Tosefus Abikurim, the Bikurim fruit which are added on, min b'minai, it needs to be the same type of species as the Bikurim themselves. So if the main Bikurim themselves are olives, then if you want to add on to those olives other fruit and make them have the status of Bikurim themselves, or Tosefus Abikurim, so that has to be exactly the same type of fruit, in our example it would be olives, as the actual Bikurim themselves. On the other hand, the Itra Bikurim, the fruit which are just decorating the Bikurim member Minai, that can be a different species to the Bikurim themselves. Next difference, because the Tosefus Abikurim are really a part of the Bikurim themselves, so Tosefus Abikurim, Mechelis Batahara. Those fruit need to be eaten in a state of purity, just like Bikurim needs to be eaten in a state of purity. As we discussed at the beginning of the second parak, that Bikurim are called Truma in the Torah, and therefore many of its laws are the same as Truma. Secondly, just like Bikurim themselves are exempt from Maestras and the various tithes, you just give the Bikurim straight to the Kurni without first having separated tithes from them. So to the Tosefus HaBikurim, both Truma and Demai, they would be exempt from Demai. Demai generally refers to produce which one buys from an Amhoretz, from an ignorant person who is not trusted with regards to the tithes. And in this context, it refers to a Kohen who receives Bikurim from a Amhoretz. And so let's say together with the Bikurim, he also received Tosefus HaBikurim. So since we're saying that Tosefus HaBikurim is the same as Bikurim, in that it is exempt from tithes, so the Kohen himself doesn't need to go and tithe it, because it's true you don't trust the Amoretz in regards to tithing it. But in this case, he was totally exempt from tithing it. So certainly the Kohen who receives it will not need to tithe it, since there is no obligation at all on the Bikurim, all the Tosefus Abikurim, to be tithed. On the other hand, the Itra Abikurim, when it comes to the fruit which just decorate the Bikurim and the baskets, Chayv by Demai, they are obligated in Demai, meaning if a Kohen receives the Bikurim from an Amhoretz, he does need to tithe them out of doubt, since Itra Abikurim are viewed as just regular fruit. So just like regular fruit which you receive from an Amhoretz needs to be tithed, 
So too, the Itzra Abikurim need to be tithed. Now, the mission does not tell us whether Itzra Abikurim need to be eaten in a state of Tara. It said that Tayseva's Abikurim needs to be, but it did not mention what the Halach is with regards to Itzra Abikurim. The fact that it didn't say Itzra Abikurim is different does imply that perhaps it is the same as Tayseva's Abikurim, so even the Itzra Abikurim need to be eaten in a state of Tara. And in fact, this is what the Rambam holds. However, it is not entirely clear from our Mishnah. Mishud Aleph. Amos I Omru, when did the Chachom say that which we described in the previous Mishnah that Tosefes Habikurim Kabikurim, that the Tosefes Habikurim, the fruit which are added onto the Bikurim, either to be more generous or to make up a sixtieth of the fruit? So when did we say that Tosefes Habikurim is considered like the Bikurim themselves? That's only Wisman Shibom in Haaretz, in a situation where the fruit come from Eretz Yisrael itself. However, then Einobom in Haaretz, but if it doesn't come from inside of Eretz Yisrael itself, Rather, it comes from Ever Hayardain, the area of land on the east side of the river Yardain. So, as the mission in that situation, in Kabikurim, the Tresevs Habikurim are not viewed as Bikurim. And if you recall, we had an argument in the first Perek as to whether fruit which comes from Ever Hayardain is even obligated in Bikurim. Because the Torah says, bring Bikurim from Eretz Zavas Cholavodavosh, from the land flowing with milk and honey, and that is not referring to Ever Hayardain. However, we did have an opinion in that Mishnah that nevertheless, since the Jewish people inherited that land, together with Eretz Yisrael, it was given to the Jewish people during the same time period, so therefore it is obligated in Bikurim, at least according to one opinion. However, the mission is telling us over here that even according to that opinion, we only say that with regards to the Bikurim themselves, but that reason is not strong enough to make the Tosefes Abikurim like Bikurim, and therefore fruit which come from there, only the Bikurim themselves would have the status of Bikurim, but Tosefes Abikurim would have the same halachas as Itur Habikurim, the fruit which are just there to decorate the baskets and the fruit. Mishnah Yud Base. In the first Mishnah of the previous Perek, we learned that one of the ways that Bikurim is similar to Truma that it is considered to be the Nichse Koyen, the possession of the Koyen who receives it, as opposed to Maiseshani, which at least according to that Mishnah is considered to be Mom and Gavoya, property of the High One, sort of Hashem's property, so there are lots of limits for what you can do with Maiseshani. On the other hand, when it comes to Bikurim, there are very few restrictions on what the Koyen can do with it, at least according to the first opinion of our Mishnah. For what purposes did the Chachomim say, at the beginning of the previous Perek, that Bikurim is considered to be the possession of the Kohen himself? Says the Mishnah, He can use that Bikurim to buy slaves, so he could exchange the Bikurim for a slave, the Karkois, or he could buy land, or the Hematameo, he could buy a non-kosher animal. Although the Torah does mention eating the Kurim, it doesn't say you have to eat it, and in fact the Torah says, satim, I've given the Bikurim to you, which implies you can pretty much do anything with it, even if you're going to buy something which you cannot eat. Furthermore, says the Mishnah, even if you're not exchanging it for anything in return, even then you can use it. For example, a Balchov, somebody who has owed money, can take Bikurim as his debt. He can go to the person who owes him money, and if that person cannot pay him money, doesn't have any money, then he is allowed to take his Bikurim. And a woman can take the Bikurim as her Kasuba. The Kasuba refers to a document which is written up at a time of marriage, which says that if the man divorces the woman, or if he dies before her, then she is entitled to a certain amount of money from him. Now, if he doesn't have any money to give her, then she may take his Bikurim. And the Mishnah adds, Kasefer Torah like a Sefer Torah. What exactly does that mean? So according to some, this is telling us a very important point about the status of the Bikurim once they've been sold, or once they've been taken as part of a debt or a kasuba. 
and that is that the Bikurim remain holy and they retain their status of being considered Bikurim even once they've been given away. And this is unlike, for example, Maishashani. Maishashani, if you buy something with Maishashani money, then the sanctity, the Maishashani status is transferred from the money onto the thing you bought. But when it comes to Bikurim, that doesn't lose its Bikurim status, which means, for example, it needs to be eaten in a state of Tara, it needs to be eaten in Yerushalayim, only a Kohen can eat it. So that is the first explanation of what Kasefer Torah means. And the second explanation is totally different, although it still agrees that Bikurim remain and they retain their status. It's just that the second explanation interprets these words differently, and that is that it interprets it as if it had said the Sefer Torah, and a Sefer Torah, meaning you can also buy a Sefer Torah with Bikurim, because I might have thought that I can only buy something which I could then sell in return for food. Since the Torah says that Bikurim should generally be eaten, I might have thought, what's the reason that I can buy slaves with Bikurim? Only because I'm then able to sell the slave and buy food with that. But when it comes to a Sefer Torah, one is not allowed to sell a Sefer Torah just for food. That's considered a disgrace of the Sefer Torah. So I might have thought that I am not allowed to buy a Sefer Torah, since once I've done that, I can't buy food with it. So the Mishnah has to tell us that no, although the Torah does say in general Bikurim is eaten, that is not a command, rather you can even buy a Sefer Torah with the Bikurim. Now Rabbi Yehuda argues on most of what we just said, because of Rabbi Yehuda, Omer Rabbi Yehuda says, a One may only give the Bikurim to a Chover who is somebody who is very particular with the laws of Tumah and Tahara. They eat all of their food in a state of purity, even regular unsanctified food. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, that is a stringency when it comes to Bikurim. The one can only sell it to somebody who he is sure will not make it Tomei. Now, although in general, Karbonus can be given to any Kohen, even a Kohen who is not a Chaver, that's because Karbonus are on a higher sanctified level, and therefore even Kohenim who are not Chaverim, even a non-Chaver, makes sure that he won't eat it in a state of Tumah. But when it comes to Bikurim, it is more likely to become Tomei if you give it to a non-Chaver, and therefore, contrary to Yehuda, you have to make sure that you only give it to a Chaver. Furthermore, says Yehuda, you are not allowed to sell Bikurim. You can only give it, but as a favour but not in return for anything else, because the Bikurim are given from the person who brings a Bikurim to a particular Kohen. So he gives him the Bikurim. He can't now start selling that for other things. He can give it as a present, but he can't start exchanging it for something else. And therefore, if he doesn't want to give it to somebody else, he can only do so as a gift. Okay, and third opinion, One who brings a Bikurim gives it to the Anshe Mishmar, the members of that group of Kohanim who are serving in the Beit HaMikdash at that time, the and they split it between all of the Kohanim there, even those who are not Chaverim, even those who are generally not trusted with regards to Tumah, just like you're allowed to give carbonos to any Kohanim, even if they are not a Chaver. Because since they have a higher sanctified status, and they are brought to the Beis HaMikdash, so one is not allowed to enter the Beis HaMikdash when he is Tomei. So even an Amha'oretz makes sure that he is pure when entering the Beis HaMikdash, which means that when he receives the Bikurim, he is Tahar. So Seilachachomim, we assume that just like with Karbonus, he will make sure he remains Tahar just for a short while after that so that he can eat the carbon. The same applies to Bikurim, since it is also brought to the base Hamikdash. However, Yehuda still argues because according to Yehuda, an Amaretz will be careful with Karbonus because they've gone through a whole process in the base Hamikdash. They've been offered on the Mizbeach, for example. When it comes to Bikurim, they're just given to the Kohen inside of the Beis HaMikdash. But nothing's actually done with them in the Beis HaMikdash, and therefore Amei HaOretz will not be so careful with not allowing it to become Tomei. Now, technically speaking, we have just been Messiah, and we have just completed the first Seder of Shishasajim Mishnah. 
However, after the Mishnah was completed, another parak was added on to this Masechta, which actually comes from the Tosefta, which was written around the same time as the Mishnah was written, but was still not included in the Mishnah itself. However, this parak was added on because the structure is very similar to what we had at the end of the second parak. The second half of the second parak, we discussed a creature called the Koi, and went through ways how the Koi is similar to a behemoth, a domesticated animal, and in other ways it's similar to a Chaya a wild animal, and in other ways it's similar to both of them, in other ways it's similar to none of them. And as we're about to see, we have exactly the same structure in this perec. Now the focus of this perec is an androgynous. An androgynous, or an androgynous, is a cross between a man and a woman. It's somebody who contains the signs, the features, the body parts of a man and a woman as well. And because of that, it's a doubt as to whether he's considered a man or a woman. Or both, or maybe none. Perhaps it's its own creature in itself its own gender in itself. And therefore the mission tells us as an introduction, Andreginois, this person who contains both male and female signs, it has some ways, some laws which are the same as laws for men, whereas in other ways it's similar to women, its laws are similar to women, and also has ways and laws which are the same as both men and women, and it also has ways, it has laws, in which Enoshoved is not the same, neither to men or women. And pretty much, just like when we had the Koi, it has the stringencies of everything, basically. So too, when it comes to Androgynous, this being is given many stringencies because we are not sure what exactly its status is. So for the remainder of the Peric, we're really going to be developing these four categories, these four lists of how it is similar to one of them, to men or women, or both of them, or also ways in which it is similar to neither of them.